0: This podcast is part of the Big Data Beard's virtual race to Splunk.com. Be sure to tune in to all the racing action by visiting youtube.com forward slash Big or simply visit bigdatabeard.com and click virtualrace to .com. You're listening to The Big Data Beard. Welcome, everybody, to the first podcast in Season 8, and this season is all about the virtual race to Splunks.conf20. If you didn't get a chance to check out the races this week yet so far, be sure to go over to our website, bigdatabeard.com forward slash VR2C, or just check out our YouTube channel as all the live streams will find their way there today's race is actually sponsored by our friends at Red River Technologies a longtime friend of the Big Data Beard and uh, today we're excited to have a conversation with Amin Murad he's the customer solutions architect for the federal civilian team Amin, welcome to the Big Data Beard podcast
1: thanks guys thanks for having me
0: absolutely well I mean in case folks don't really know much about Red River Technologies would you mind just spend a moment and tell us a little bit about Red River and the values you deliver to your customers
1: Absolutely. So, um, you know, Red River is an IT solutions provider, and really what we look to do is help enterprises and, and federal agencies kind of solve some of their business challenges, uh, leveraging, you know, innovative solutions, right? So we're not really just reselling different products, but we're actually, you know, applying um, engineering value on top of that to help come up with a holistic solution, right? And really drive value to our customers.
0: No, that's perfect, man. Now, one of the things that we are obviously very interested in is really around data analytics and IoT. Can you talk a little bit about what Red River is uh, kind of generally doing in that area of technology?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, there there is a lot. So, you know, one of the big things we do is um, around the backbone for all IoT products, which would be on the wireless space. So we have a, a large uh, wireless practice um, you know, that's familiar with a whole bunch of different, you know, myriads of wireless technologies, right? So, you just do traditional, you know, 802.11, you name it, ABGN, ACAX, right? Um, doing predictive surveys, virtual surveys, physical on-site surveys, uh, you know, point-to-point wireless, you know, for the backhaul. Um, and then also some of the other, you know, less common but more recent protocols, you know, like, like ZigBee, um, and ran is some of the newer and upcoming technologies, um, you know, so we're exploring things in those spaces and then helping customers, you know, address the requirements around their different IoT you know, products and tools that they're going to leverage some of their different sensors, helping them uh, correlate data from those sensors and, you know, aggregate and ingest it into analytics platforms like Splunk
2: yeah, so when you talk about all the different applications of these these different protocols and, and, and the use of these sensors, what are you seeing especially in your space where you focus you know within the federal space where what are you seeing as these organizations using uh, from an application standpoint? like how are they using them?
1: Absolutely. so I mean it, it is oh man, it's, it's kind of r- really fascinating and crazy at the same time. Um, and you know things that you generally wouldn't even really think about. So one such uh, sensor uh, that I've seen used, is a CO2 sensor. And so, you know, with some of these newer buildings, right, that are like LEED Energy Efficient Certified, one of the strategies that they actually implement to conserve energy is having these CO2 sensors, right, uh, all over the building. And these CO2 sensors would calculate exactly how much of that CO2 is in each room, right. And as a result of that, and be able to identify how many people are in that room and modulate the HVAC system so that the HVAC system isn't running excessively if there isn't anyone in that room. And that way they so, can save energy.
0: So would CO2 be a better, because I, I, I love the concept of kind of the smart building, but I'm curious, like what, is CO2 a better indicator than like a presence monitor? I guess is that's probably more more consistent in terms of its ability to actually predict the number of people.
1: It's it, it depends, right? So they've they actually gotten pretty accurate with the CO two monitors because there's a there's a formula that calculates the amount of CO two a specific or one person would output, and then you could you know use that to calculate exactly how many people are in that room, right? And then of course there's a fluctuation. Based on you know obviously the size and age of the person would you know vary the amount of oxygen they're consuming. Um, with the presence monitoring, it can be a little different, um, especially if you look at things like you know with Bluetooth Low Energy, and you know the fidelity that that provides. A lot of times, you don't get you know as much accuracy as to where that person is located, right? So they don't have that specific accuracy unless you bring in other technologies like infrared. And then with infrared, you can get down to like the foot of where someone is located where otherwise you're going to a couple of meters, right? And, you know, there are some challenges there. If their, you know, phone or, or something dies, there's no sensor or anything that would then emit, you know, their location that can then be picked up by the wireless network. Um, whereas with CO2, the sensor, you know, isn't really traveling. It's it's you know, static in that room, but it's collecting the amount of, um, you know, or the lack of oxygen there.
0: Yeah. Are you seeing like a coalescence where more and more, you know, vendors that create the hardware that goes into these offices start to build like those kinds of capabilities into their products? Like, as you know, you think about smart buildings, like, okay, let's see, like, oh, everybody's got a wireless access point in the ceiling, right? Of every room. Are you, are, are people starting to get smart enough to like start to build that in and create like deployable hubs that, that kind of build this in, make it easier for deployment?
1: So I'm not seeing too much on the hubs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and there are quite a few, you know, vendors that come up with the sensors themselves. Um, so and I don't, I'm not going to say, like, I, don't, I really don't think they're putting them into the wireless access point itself. And yeah. a lot of the strategies now have been let's get rid of the hub, right, and have the sensor communicate to a cloud platform or something mm-hmm. else, right? So, yeah. you know, they have these new, you know, LED smart light bulbs, right? Um, and the challenge that a lot of people had was that not only were these light bulbs expensive, but that you needed a hub, right, to then communicate and mm-hmm. control with uh, the light bulbs. Um, and so what a lot of vendors are doing now is saying, all right, we'll get, we're going to get rid of the hub, and the light bulb is going to communicate to our cloud. And now the customer can just com- you know, control the light bulb through the cloud, and that's going to reduce the cost to the customer and make it yeah. convenient,
0: Man, I tell you what the hubs. What an annoying thing that is. I don't know if you got if you're into the smart home thing, but I had one of those Wink hubs and they, you know, part of the reason I bought it was they were like, "Oh, we'll never charge you a fee." Like, you bought this hub and now it's yours forever. It's a piece of hardware. And then 2 years later, they're like, "Oh, we're going broke, so we need to charge everybody $10 a month for their hub to work." So, I am a big fan of getting rid of hubs.
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to be contrary there because as someone who is a very smart home uh, aficionado, um if you start going to the cloud, now you're reliant on them and dependent on them for the future of the sustainability of those products though. Right. So I think it's a little bit of a, a You're bit right. of both. It's a hard I balance. personally, um, I, I, I'm looking at my hubs on hubs right now where I have like three <laughs> or four hubs for all my different products. So I guess I'm not one talk, yeah, same time. I think it's a balance of both, but obviously yeah. in the enterprise space, it's a little bit more reliable on, on the cloud and that cloud technology versus the consumer. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I do think it's, um, it's an interesting trend of, you know, where, how sensors can communicate and send data to a centralized platform. So you can also correlate it across different sets or
0: different uh, products as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's Dude, it's the edge computing made real, right? It's we're shrinking compute. We're putting it into uh, smart devices, like you said, I mean, and light bulbs and everything else. And one of the things that happens when you create lots of devices and you're starting to measure, you know, all these different things that we never thought about measuring before, but now they have their distinct value in them you create a massive amount of data and I'm, I'm curious to hear from, you know, from red rivers perspective, how are organizations dealing with this, you know, this deluge of data from sensors that really are just, they're creating a new type of data that really didn't exist in the enterprise previously.
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, and it's funny you guys mentioned the smart homes cause I'm, I'm actually looking to uh, buy a house and I've been like looking at all the different smart home products left and right. Um, and so I, I definitely understand, you know, you know, the challenge with consuming all that data, right? Because if your refrigerator, your microwave, your coffee maker, your light bulbs, and maybe even your bathroom are all communicating all their, you know, capabilities and features all at once, right? You're gonna run out of storage. Um, but you know, there are a couple different things that um, you know, Red River and the team have kind of explored. Some of that is 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 pruning some of those datas. Um You know, others are kind of the summary indexes that you see in Splunk, right? So, I mean, a lot of times, if you have a consistent setting or, you know, reading on a sensor for a period of time, right, it's fair to say that you could summarize that, right, and say, well, throughout this whole period of time, this was just one value. So now we don't have to have multiple readings at that same value. We can, you know, kind of reduce that, uh, you know, cost of uh, storage there. Um, And then there's also the compression techniques, right? So implementing you know the compression, which I think is default on Splunk indexers if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you know sometimes it, depending on the data source, there could be extraneous information that you know isn't necessarily relevant to the application you're looking for for to get the answers out of the IOT appliances. So you can prune those specific data fields off and just kind of keep what's necessary
2: so you mentioned Splunk a couple times and I'm curious uh, from your point of view how is Red River partnering with Splunk to deliver value to your customers both for you know IOT use cases but all the use cases where the where Splunk and its data to everything platform really you know play
1: oh man so it, it, I'm glad you asked that because I'm actually involved in, in quite a few of those projects um, and and there's a lot you know we've been working with Splunk on the return to work initiative Um on um, a couple of the other initiatives and Splunk is a core component of some of our strategic solutions. Right. So especially, you know, when you talk about the IoT space, right, security is definitely a big concern. Um, I was actually just listening to a um, another podcast where somebody was talking about a vulnerability that a security researcher had found where they could reverse engineer the firmware of a coffee maker and push that, you know, updated or or basically, you know, rogue firmware to that coffee maker uh, without any authentication and take over that coffee maker. And now you have a coffee maker that's spying on you, right? Um, so there's definitely a, a major threat landscape, you know, when you look at all these IoT appliances, is you know, hub controlled, you know, cloud controlled, you know, a lot of times this, the security concerns aren't taken into consideration around those IoT appliances. And so Red River came up with the device isolation architecture. And our device isolation architecture really helps to reduce that threat vector. Um, so some of the things we do, you know, is implement technologies like network access control, and you know, flow analysis, um, vulnerability analysis, and we take all of that data, feed it into Splunk, you know, correlate it, leverage tools like enterprise security, you know, so that if there are incidents or suspicious activity, right, we can then correlate, you know, investigate with it. Um, leveraging enterprise security, and then also incorporating things like Phantom to automate some of those remediation tasks, right, or at least automate some of the investigation steps.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things you talked about there that I want to kind of peel back a little bit is, you know, this idea that, you know, when we have massive amounts of streams of data, obviously, you need a platform, you know, to find value from it. So you talked about Splunk as a platform that Red River is partnering with to deliver value from customers. But one of the things that, you know, as Conf is just, you know, a few days away now, uh, you know, I, I'm getting buzz, you know, from a lot of talk around there's you know data stream processor. People are pretty excited about that product within Splunk. Are you seeing that being adopted to help deal with like this idea that there's lots of disparate sort of data sources and sensors and in otherwise that it makes sense to kind of do some initial pruning, tuning of the data before you send it into Splunk indexes?
1: Absolutely. Because, I mean, there are a myriad of fields. When you break down what data your IoT appliances are sending, there are a myriad of fields that may not be relevant, right? Um, And you really don't need to consume those fields, right? So it used to be that you'd go on your forwarder, you know, you configure your props and ingest.conf, you know, and then from there you could prune the data that way. But when you have all those different little IoT appliances sending that in, Right, and your forwarder may not be able to handle that. You know, DSP definitely helps offload a lot of that stress and um, makes it easier for that data ingestion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, once you've got the data in, right, it's it's one thing. IoT is this concept of you know, there's lots of sources of data, there's sensors, you know, but you want to create value. And when the data sets get really, really large, meaning large numbers of sources, you know, lots of granularity of data, it's hard for humans to oftentimes deal with that sort of level of data. And that's where AI steps in. So I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing from a Red River perspective in working in the federal space, partnering to deliver value with Splunk. How are you starting to see IoT and AI start to coalesce for real value?
1: Yeah. So. Um... It's actually interesting. So kind of going back to some of our strategic solutions, um, we leveraged or we actually built a a solution around network access control and mapping, you know, access control for a lot of different things. Um, And so what we've done is um, taken the access or log times for when that device was accessing a network, right, and fed it into the machine learning toolkit. And, um, you know, just as a proof of concept really initially, and then it kind of grew to something really cool, but... We leveraged the machine learning toolkit to do anomaly detection and basically created a standard, you know, access pattern, leveraging um, standard deviation to identify, well, when would somebody access the network, right? What's the range or period that they normally are within? And if they fall outside of that, you know, this could be an anomaly. Something interesting could be happening. We should probably investigate, right? Um, So, and that was just kind of the first foray, you know, looking into a whole bunch of different techniques and capabilities and and machine learning can get you know really deep into the math so something i need to personally work on on getting better at um (laughs) don't we all (laughs) yeah right it it can get i mean i've gotten all the way up to calc one and that's about it so you know when when they get deeper into it you know they're, they're talking about like bernoullian statistics right and um you know cluster theory and k means and you know things that go, go way. Go study
0: Bayesian math; it's real fun. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right.
0: But that's the idea, though, is that like things like machine learning toolkit, like the whole purpose there is that it's like, you know, part of the challenge that has existed for data science to be really successful in the enterprise has been around. Oh, great! I've got data, but I don't know how to get it into a format that I could then go apply right in the data wrangling process. Go apply some clustering algorithm to it, and I think the argument for machine learning toolkit and Splunk is that hey, the data is already in an index that's a known good format that you can apply it kind of out of the box uh, very simply for a variety of use cases, whether it's IT or security like you've talked about. Um, when you think about you know, kind of the future, right? We're going into comp here in a few weeks. We're probably going to learn some things I want to talk about in a second. But when you think about what's next for your partnership, you talked about that you all have built some great solutions that bring value around IoT security and AI with Splunk, kind of what's next? What are y'all thinking about? What's the the vision for how Red River is going to help customers in the future?
1: Oh man, so um, honestly, it's kind of iterating on, you know, some of our existing strategic solutions we have and kind of taking it to the next level, right? So incorporating additional algorithms um, as part of the machine learning toolkit to provide, you know, more insights into what we have today. Um, So that's something that I'm personally exploring myself Um, And like you mentioned, you mentioned bees in statistics, right? So that that kind of provides a a confidence factor. So it's something that I need to study, (laughs) Uh, but being able to provide a higher level of confidence. So if I already know that, you know, there's anomalous activity going on, well, could I leverage phantom to automate some of the investigation for me and then provide additional details back in the Splunk and back into my machine learning, you know, toolkit algorithm to then increase confidence of whether or not this is a false positive, or is this really an you know some malicious behavior and you know we need to alert somebody and take some actions against it
2: yeah so conf is just a mere days away and i don't know about you but i'm pretty pretty excited um you know what are what are you most excited about for conf this year and, and obviously it is in a, in a virtual setting but you know what are you what are you going to be attending what, what are your thoughts on what are you looking forward to hearing
1: so probably every phantom session they have, I'm gonna jump into it. <laughs> um, I've been taking the phantom administrator classes. And so I knocked out the first two, I still got one more left um, and it's just, it's an interesting product, you know, it's it's really cool. Um, and and while people are saying, you know, it, it, it's part of the SOAR, right? Security, orchestration, automation, remediation, but there's so many more applications to it. You could take it and apply it to the IT use cases Right? And being a you know a, tra- a network admin traditionally, right, that that's kind of the space I understand the most, right? CPU utilization, you know storage utilization, you know network utilization. Um, and honestly, the capabilities it has around you know Phantom and calling different APIs and being able to automate tasks can easily be applied to you know the network admins and system admins of the world, and looking forward to seeing what Splunk has in store for us there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Phantom, for those that don't know, it's like you said, it's a part of the originally thought of as a SOAR product, right? So that you can, you know, automate the response to kind of known activities, which, by the way, is not a new concept in security or IT, right? We've been doing automation for years. I mean, (laughs) if anybody's ever in a cron job, like, we know what automation is, right? It's, it's automating something, but really, it's the scale And applying that intelligent sort of machine learning algorithm to understand what's happening is really what I think is so unique. And then the ability to scale those those playbooks um, across. And I'm curious, you talked about it, you know, as a security perspective, from an IT perspective, it's one of those areas where it's just sort of uh, it's just sort of sort of starting to get interest. Are you hearing interest from from the operators in the in the industry around, you know, IT and SRE kind of folks that phantoms uh, something they're interested in as well?
1: absolutely right because i mean a lot of times you know people people kind of overlook the uh, the system admins right and the network admins sure. of the world they're yeah. kind of lower on the totem pole so they don't get as much love unfortunately um or budget
0: app devs where all the cool stuff <laughs> app dev and data scientists get all the love these days
1: yeah basically and i think that's why we're kind of on the data side or at least shifting to that um yeah. but you know they have they have Challenges with having the ability to scale on a lot of tasks, right? And especially if you look at like help desk guys, right? Who are like, all right, have a ticket come in. It's the same problem. It happens every night. It's a specific process. It goes through this. And they spend their time going in there, restarting that process or rebooting that specific server and meeting something that, you know, nobody fixed the core problem. And so their resolution is a workaround. But that workaround is done manually, Right, you could have easily taken that workaround, applied it into Spl- uh, Phantom, and then um, have Phantom do that work for you. Right, and so the, the idea there is you're removing the low-level tasks so that you could focus your human resources on more complex issues. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, it's been awesome to catch up with you to talk about what Red River's doing in the federal space, helping organizations adopt IoT best practices using AI. To identify and extract value from the data and then really looking at that platform from splunk and phantom to automate a response to uh to helping from security posture but also from an operations perspective so definitely uh, great to talk with you and i I encourage the folks who are listening if you haven't signed up for splunks.com yet this year it is free you can go to conf.splunk.com and register and probably attend some sessions that i mean it's going to be in so make sure you do that but i mean before we let you go We want to have a little fun, and we've got a section we like to call Rapid Fire.
2: We've learned a lot about our guests today, but now it's time to get a bit more personal in a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. All right, so let's get into Rapid Fire. First question, what has been the most productive thing you've done during COVID?
1: Oh, man. So aside from cleaning my room, I built a brand new computer.
0: Oh, that's nice. The room part, (laughs) (laughs) new computer's fun. You getting you gaming or something?
1: Uh, yeah, a little bit of both, right? So gaming and then trying to get into like the whole deep learning thing. So you know, got the latest and greatest uh, AMD CPU. It's like twelve CPU cores, which you think this thing's practically a server. Um, Yeah. But I got all the LED lights too. You know, so you you have to trick it out RGB. Yeah, so fun. Um, I'll have to send you guys a you know video of uh, what it looks like. You know, pretty cool. Put it
2: on the Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I think we Corey and I have both been looking at building uh, computers over the last couple of days. It's we're doing a lot more uh, editing and and video processing. So no, that's very interesting. All right. So next question: What book would you recommend to our listeners?
1: Oh, okay. Um, so there's a couple books that I've uh, read recently. One is uh, Great by Choice, right? And so it's it's not really about data science. It's more about business. Um, but it definitely opens your eyes to different business philosophies. Um, And and there's actually, there's a really good takeaway from it, right? And one of which is fire bullets, not cannons, right? And so, you know, from there, basically they're saying, look, you know, try something small, start on a small scale before you invest heavily into it, right? Um, And the analogy they provide is, you know, you have two boats, right? Each one has one cannonball, but multiple muskets, right? And so to get the angle uh, of what you need to be able to hit your opponent, right, you fire the musket and tune the angle, right, because the musket takes a lot less energy and effort. And then once you got that angle correctly, then you go ahead and shoot the cannonball. So definitely an interesting... Fire... Yeah. Fire for effect, I
2: think is what they call it, right? <laughs> cool. Okay, so what is your favorite piece of technology right now?
1: Oh. um... Well, I just got the new Samsung uh, Note S twenty Ultra, and the camera on that thing is phenomenal. I mean, really? the amount of acne I could pick up on people's faces when I zoom in—it's—it's <laughs> it's, it's insane, you know. Um, but but the screen is great, uh. right? I want to say it has an 8K screen. Uh, the audio quality on the mic is so good that it picks up people I have on speaker, and they complain about feedback. So. Um, but like it, it's noticeably different. Like I, I've taken that phone and I've taken my mom's uh, Note 8 and taken the same picture right? and zoomed in all the way. And you, you could really do see the difference in color and contrast cool. and detail. Interesting.
2: Are there any shows that you're binging on
1: right now? Um, so I actually just knocked out all the binge shows. But there was one on Netflix. I want to say it was called Occupied or something. And it was, it was really interesting. It's about um, – you know, Norway and how Norway got invaded by the Russians because of an energy conflict and kind of all that, the, the geopolitics there. It's kind of cool.
2: Uh, Interesting to check that out. And once travel opens back up again, and you can travel freely,
1: where's the first place you're going to be going to? Canada. All right. Convenient, I like easy. That. I could drive there in seven hours. I've been trying to go, you know, it's, it's the promised land, but, um, Unfortunately, the border has been closed you know, due to, to everything going on, and I've been checking every month. And it's like, yeah, we're extending the closure, extending the closure. So, Plus, you know, the dollar is stronger there, right? So your money goes a little farther. Um, so think about it as a discount vacation.
2: All right. I like that. I like that. And then lastly, where can our audience find you on social media?
1: Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Um, and I'll have to pull up and see what my LinkedIn URL is, or I could probably share it with you guys. We'll
0: we'll drop it in the show notes. It's all good. Well, very good. Well, I mean, it has been super fun to talk with you about Red River, your partnership with Splunk, and how you're delivering value to federal customers around AI, IoT, and security. Make sure, everybody, again, this podcast is part of the Big Data Beards virtual race to Splunk.conf20. You can find the race broadcast where we've got some great interviews with other technologists and executives from Red River on the race broadcast with us. And just go to BigDataBeard.com and click on the virtual race tab. Or find us on YouTube, just youtube.com forward slash Big Data Beard. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast.
2: Thank you for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast on our virtual race to .conf 2020.
1: For more information and to see all of the virtual race content, check out bigdatabeard.com forward slash VR2C. Special thanks to our partners, Splunk Dell Technologies, Red River, Hippo Digital, Intel, Arrow and McLaren.